Hey everyone, it's Robert here. I want to thank everybody for following us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case may be. Really appreciate you doing that. And for those of you that are looking for us, you can find us at Mentors, the number four MIO. Recently, you've probably seen me talking about a new groups page that we created on Facebook. You can find it at facebook.com backslash groups backslash mentors and number four MIL. What this is all about is that we're trying to network the community and also find out all the different training events and seminars that you guys would be interested in. We've got some big plans that we're working behind the scenes with sponsors, with uh, guest speakers and all of those types of things. And so we're really excited about what we have that we're laying out. But it's going to take every one of you to kind of give us the feedback um, so we know those types of things that you're interested in. So please head over to join us at the Facebook page on the groups page. Become a member there and refer a lot of your friends because we'll be posting a lot of the, the great information that's going to be coming out in the coming months. Moving along on this episode, I was very fortunate enough to have Eli Crane from Bottle Breacher join us. Now, many of you probably remember a few months back when we had Remy Adelaki on. Uh, Remy is an actor, an author, and a former Navy SEAL and he was in the movie Transformers, the most latest version of that. Well, Eli is a good friend and a teammate in the Navy SEALs, and he had started uh, Bottle Breacher before he went on the show Shark Tank. And so we talk a little bit about that, but some of the message that he shared with us, especially those around Shawshank Redemption, and uh, the lessons that he took away really blew me away. I had not thought about what the character was trying to describe within the movie in the same way that Eli described it. But immediately, once he mentioned that to me, a light bulb went off. And he also shared some really good information around some of the struggles that veterans have when they get off active service, but especially around as it relates to uh, giving back or in communication, because we all have resilience and kind of that never quit mindset. But being able to hone those skills and put them to use in such a way that Eli talks about uh, makes it really special. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Eli Crane from Bottle Breacher, along with special guest host, Remy Adelaki. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. doing good good man so i'll go around good. the room of course i'm robert founder and uh president of mentors for military and the host of mentors military podcast we got i don't know if you can see well everybody's got beards so the guy with the gray beard that was just talking to you is mike pritz mike What's uh up, mike? mike served 30 years most of it in 10th group and got out as a command sergeant major of 10th group scott johnson who served with the uh the british army so we got a bread on with us and then of course you know your uh your padre there remy yeah, yeah, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Glad you came on as well. So as I understand that you served 13 years in the Navy, how much of that did you end up serving in the SEALs? And Yeah, so nine of those years were as a SEAL, uh, and the reason for that was because I didn't make it through training my first attempt. Yeah. Remy uh, told a great story. What was it, Remy? Like <laughs> three times or something oh, like me? that? Yeah. No, no, I got, yeah, I got, I had, I didn't make it through the first time either. I got dropped uh, in second phase the first time I was there, and then I went back. But yeah, I, I now know what you. So in first phase, the first time I went through first phase, I got rolled in Hell Week, and then yeah. I started all over, and then got dropped in second phase, then went back and started all over. Yeah, so yeah, That's good some, times. Yeah, <laughs> definitely times, some good man. times. That's character building. 
Oh yeah, dude. Full, full benefit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you did five overseas deployments, and then uh, what was it? Three of them over in Iraq. Yep. So how yep. was it that you met up with Remy? Were you guys both on the same team? Yeah. So um, I was at SEAL Team Three, and uh, Remy and uh, what what was it? Remy like ten other dudes, ten other new guys yeah. joined our platoon, and uh, yeah. so. We got the uh, we got the opportunity to uh, work with these guys as they came into the teams, and um, it was it was great, man. Oh, so we you were some- you were already there and welcomed Remy into the team then? Yeah. yeah so that was uh, that was the daddy. Yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell us about that. Yeah, you poor guy, Remy. <laughs> you got you got screwed, bro. But no, it was good, man. It seems like the quality just kept, in my opinion, kept getting better and better. The more, the 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 more popularity I think the teams got, the more guys that wanted to, you know, test their metal and show up. And uh, I was just, you know, I was just really impressed and blown away with the quality of new guys we had. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool that you guys have remained friends because it's been what probably good six years or something like that or so. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, our lot, our deployment together was in 2010. So we've stayed in touch. Um, and I, I'm definitely following what he's up to now, but you know, we did, we haven't worked together since 2010. Yeah. Remy's uh, doing big things. Of course, Remy, you just released your book. So congratulations on that. No, 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 no. That doesn't come out till January. Don't 24th. come out till January. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that you said something about the book no, and everything. I, I, I just finished writing it. I just oh, okay. finished writing it. So right. now it's, it's it's at the editor now, and and then we go into marketing and PR in like like a month and a half, and wow. the whole you know that goes until January twenty first. So oh, so all this tour stuff that you're doing right now has nothing to do with the book. It's just your normal schedule. It's my normal schedule, but I'm intentionally taking certain speaking engagements just for marketing purposes, yeah. just to kind of start building that that following and that buzz for the book. You know, a lot of some publishers, what they do is, you know, like on their dime, they won't start investing a lot of money until like three months out. Yeah. Um, but for me, like I want the book to do better than their expectations. So I'm doing my own marketing and PR and, and speaking engagements and podcasts and all these things to start you know, getting the word out there before January. Yeah. Got to do the press junket in the circuit. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, Eli, you started you started Bottle Breacher, what, was like a year and a half before you got out, or was it somewhere around that time frame? Yeah, it was about two years before I got out. I started it while I was an instructor at uh, NSW Group 1 MARUP, so uh, VBSS cell actually teaching guys how to take down ships. <clears throat> and so I was an instructor there. I'd work there during the days, and uh, – come home and help my wife put the girls to bed, baths, books, the whole nine, and then uh, go out to the garage and work late into the night, early into the next morning on the business. Hey, for our listeners, could you talk a little bit about what VBSS is, what it means, and what you guys talk guys people to do? Yeah, so basically uh, visit board, search and seize, and uh, basically just teaching guys how to take down um, enemy vessels or vessels of interest. You know, it could be a, you know, it could be a tug, it could be a barge, it a lot of times it's a cargo ship and a lot of people don't realize how dangerous VBSS is because it's a 720 degree environment. I mean, you got threats all over the place uh, because ships are so, so uh, small. Um, they have to hide stuff all over the place. Like most couches have um, hi- hiding places underneath the cushions. There's hiding places everywhere. And so 
it there it's such a dangerous area you know you're constantly going in and out of hatches that are hard to get in and out of with with gear so it was a really great opportunity and experience for me to work in that cell hey thanks robert i i know i'm going to sidetrack it a little bit i know you're off it's going to take you off topic but i i, I brought a seal platoon into lebanon to to do just this with the lebanese navy seals and uh watching both both our partners learned this from from our Navy brethren and, and and the Navy guys going in and teaching them really made me proud of what we were doing over there and, and to the level of uh, comp- complication of, a, of an objective or a target on a ship is something significantly I, I think different than what I was used to in the Army and um, the the you know from from going in and securing the engine room taking control of, of the of the the ship itself so that they can stop it. And then actually bring the guys in and take it down was really impressive for me to watch. I just, when you said VBSS, I just wanted you to highlight that a little bit. Yeah, right on, man. It's a very dynamic environment. We would constantly have uh, helos, fast roping guys on board doing what we call the half, um, the helo assault force. And then we'd have the bath, the boat assault force coming, hitting at the same time with a couple ribs and a bunch of guys. And I mean, you would have live role players. Uh, live breach scenes, dogs. I mean, it was it was pretty awesome. Well, you think about what was going on over in Somalia. I think it was, wasn't it, where they were the pirates were attacking a lot of the ships, and we had to have guys get in there and try to clean that mess up. And I guess it's still going on. I think there's still a lot of pirates East, going on, East right? and West Africa. Yeah. I, both both have regions uh, of of the world like that that are that are kind of inherent to pirates. Yeah, and I can actually speak to that. It, in the regular Navy, I was a gunner's mate. I was on an a- Aegis missile cruiser, and I remember a couple times going through like the Straits of Hormuz, um, and they told us, hey, these are what your ROEs are. Uh, if anybody gets within – because they always bluff, and they always come at you. Um, sometimes 50, 75 small you know, fast boats will come at you and act like they're going to run right into you, and then they'll last minute they'll bank off. And so they tell you – they brief you beforehand, hey, this is what's going to happen, and they would even tell us, hey, if anybody gets within 150 y- yards, you're cleared hot. Um, but then nice. they would get within 150 yards and we would we would never go hot on them. Because, and, you know, none of the none of the headshed ever wanted to start an in- international incident. And so it's just it's a real it's a real dynamic environment. And, you know, until, you know, until, you know, we actually whoop out the stick and, you know, hammer these guys you're going to keep seeing the same type of thing now you started off that like we were talking about though a year and a half before you got out of uh, active service and stuff so what made you all of a sudden want to go into being an entrepreneur i mean did you already know that that's what you wanted to do when you got out was to start your own business and so you you cranked it up beforehand or you know i honestly didn't really know that that's what i wanted to do uh i had had an experience uh, me and remy were both part of a group called acumen performance group for a while um, and it, I kind of got the taste for entrepreneurship and I really enjoyed, uh, the freedom involved in it. I enjoyed working with my buddies. Um, and I, I liked the fact that we were kind of make, you know, making it up as we went, we got to be creative, we got to be our own bosses. So I, I, I liked that right off the bat, but then that wasn't generating enough revenue to provide for my family. And so honestly, I was doing a lot of praying. Um, and I was asking God, Hey Lord, how do you want me to provide for my wife and kids? And, uh, it was cool because it made no sense to anybody. You know, he gave me bottle openers. I remember telling several, <laughs> several guys as I was getting out, I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to make bottle openers out of bullets. And they were like, dude, you've lost your mind. You need to go get a psych, psych eval right now. And so, but it's been, it's been awesome, man. And it's been a real blessing. And, uh, 
you know, I hope we get to keep on doing it because I love doing it, but I don't have a crystal ball. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. So three weeks after you separate, you're at a SEAL team, you walk out the door and here you end up on Shark Tank. You've got what, a half a million dollars worth of sales or revenue. You're you've got a ton of back orders, as I understand it. And you're walking in hoping that somebody's going to give you a little pocket money to keep you going. So tell, tell us a little bit about that, because some people may not have realized that you were on Shark Tank. Yeah. So I always wanted to go on the show. I remember watching the show with my wife and we always watched it. And I knew that if I could just get on the show, um, I knew we could blow it up. And I knew if as long, I knew it was going to be like it always is. I knew it would be an issue of political correctness. What were we? Were we too deplorable f- to be on the show? And I, I'm actually surprised <laughs> ABC let us on, but I'm glad that they did. And, uh, you know, so we went on the show. Um, it was really cool because I was actually in uh, Los Angeles at Sony Picture Studios pitching to the Sharks while I was on terminal leave. So uh, oh, don't wow. tell anybody, but I was <laughs> I was still in the Navy and I didn't actually act, ask for permission but because um, I don't think they would have given it to me. But um, it, it, it was really cool how it worked out because uh, I we the show aired one month after I got out of the Navy. So it was just like it was like a seamless transition. And that's one of the hardest things I've had to watch is my buddies struggle, you know, just phenomenal dudes struggle to find, you know, good work. Yeah. And it's just like you just think to yourself, it really shouldn't be that way. And so. That's that's one of the reasons we get so we try and be so involved in the veteran community and just helping out when and where we can. Yeah, you're right about the transition. That seems to be one of the biggest things is guys have a, a hard time either acclimating, going through the communication struggles, trying to find their passion or purpose. They've been in a hyper vigilant state and now they're trying to get to something a lot more low keyed out here. And the civilian community in a lot of cases doesn't seem to understand them. Um, and there's a bit of that divide that continues to go on and has been for some period of time. But, uh, I think for some people it's a real struggle and that, and that's part of the reason why they end up going into the government line of business, I think. Yep. No, you're right. But I think it sounds like you already had this plan before you got out of the Navy. I mean, you, you'd started right. yeah. bottle breacher beforehand. Right. Um, a lot of guys and, and, and some of the people we talk to, uh, they don't, they don't have that plan. They, they, they come all the way up to transition or to the end of a career and, and they think, well, there's plenty out there waiting for me. All my buddies have already done it. They're going to help me. And, yep. and unfortunately, so many people are worried about their, their own survivability out there. They're, they're trying to make it on their own. So I, I think it, it says a lot that you had this plan and, and you'd worked it for quite some time before you, before you made the transition. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, I had enough situational awareness to watch my buddies struggle as they were getting out before me. Guys that had the same claws the same skill sets that I did, they were struggling to find work. Some of them, it was taking 12 to 15 months to find something. And I didn't have that luxury because I had two little girls. Um, and so, you know, I really started just hustling, sacrificing. I had no free time. There was no balance in my life. I was working my tail off. Uh, there were no weekends, no holidays, definitely no vacations. And, uh, you know, there's a one of my favorite entrepreneur quotes is, um, entrepreneurs are if entrepreneurs are willing to work like nobody's willing to work so they can live lives like nobody's able to live and that's just it's it's been so true and um you know it's it's not easy to make it and it's surely not easy to work with your spouse like like i have and i don't recommend that to most people but (laughs) but uh but it's actually been kind of cool because it's actually brought us closer together as a couple and we've had to rely on each other 
just we call it we call it staying in our swim lanes and oh, that's yeah. one of yeah. the things that is super important but um you know it's been pretty awesome i usually try to counsel people by the way not to go into business with family members families and friends are some of the hardest uh, things to to do because i mean of course you it's harder like with your spouse you just can't turn to jen and go okay you're fired that's it i'm done <laughs> <laughs> well you probably do on occasion but she just looks at you and go you you don't have the authority to do that no she fi- she fires herself on a on a regular basis and then uh you know and uh, thankfully she always comes back because without Jen, there's, there's really no company, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. So Eli, they, they, they say with, um, entrepreneurship in particular, that if you find something you love, then you, your passion, then it makes it a lot easier to turn it into a business before you started bottle breacher. Were, were you, are you a, a mechanical background or did you have a hobby making things or what, what got you towards taking, empty shells and turn them into bottle openers yeah i'm definitely not a mechanical guy i've always been kind of a creative guy and i've always had kind of an eye for you know what was uh i i think what was unique what was cool and so i've always been able to and you know when we launch new products always be able to look at because we get pitched new ideas all the time and just being able to look at new concepts and i've always kind of gone by the mantra that if uh if the guys like Remy that I I used to work with, if if they, if they, and if guys like you would think it was cool, then the rest of the, the rest of America and the rest of the world will think it's cool. You know, and it's, it's actually pretty simple philosophy. I mean, I think that guys in special forces are the coolest guys in the world. So if they think it's going to be cool, um, then everybody will think it's pretty awesome. So here you are, you walk into this television show and as I've watched this show many times and the question that always came to mind is that when you're standing there looking at all these Shark Tank guys, do you have to stand there for 30, 40 minutes just uh, looking at them because it seems like the camera angles have to spin around and everybody always wonders that question of, okay, how long are they having to stand there serious as all get out? Yeah, it's a couple minutes. It's kind of cool. They make, they tell you, they tell you it's going to happen. It is a little, it is a little awkward. Because, it could be intimidating. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're 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 walking in there, Joe and Joe yep. and Sue, nobody, you know, with and you're you're standing off, staring at these, you know, sharks that are super, you know, super qualified and super successful, and they're looking at you, and you're looking at them, and you're just like, let's get it on, you yeah. Know? So <laughs> it's pretty cool. So, we, what do you think separated you from the other struggling uh, entrepreneurs? Then, what made Kevin and and Mark want to invest in your company? Do you think? I mean, what was it that set you apart? Because I mean, I'm sure they, of course, you know, watching the show, they see tons of um, entrepreneurs come in. You know, having a military background, sometimes you don't always have the business acumen and everything down to be able to to take the challenge on. These guys can really get deep into you know income statements and balance sheets and trying to pick apart your business plan and everything. So what was that thing that you think that kind of helped set you apart? I think it was a, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I think primarily what really spiked their attention was we were in you, we were in year two, not even working on this thing full time out of a one car garage. And we were projected to do $900,000 in our first, in our second year, excuse me. Uh, that just doesn't happen. No, if you study entrepreneurship crazy. and companies, it just doesn't happen. And so that, that got their attention right away. And then I think, I think the fact that we went in there with a humble mentality, yeah. um, and didn't try and act like we were 
pros by any stretch of the imagination. And it, there were a lot of questions. We said, you know what? I'm not sure about that, but I, I'll get back to you on that. Um, I think they knew that, okay, these guys are moldable. They don't think they know everything. We can work with these guys. They, they sound kind of humble. And I was also quick to talk about my failures. And I think that's a lot of thing. That's a, that's a big thing that most people will never talk about. And, uh, and the reason I wanted to highlight and talk about my failures, including not making it through buds my first time, but also Jen, not making it into business school her first time, because I think the most important skill and the most important trait in entrepreneurship is resilience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, they, they get into this game, it doesn't work out. And then they quickly say, Oh, this isn't for me. Well, you know, I told them, Hey, that's not how we roll that when we, uh, when we, when we don't succeed at something, we don't run for the Hills, we stick and we fight and we regroup and we try and figure out what the lessons learned were. So I think there are a lot of things, uh, a lot of things going into it. But then again, you got to remember it's a TV show and these guys understand they want to support, they want to support good stories and good people. And I think that they sense that in Jen and I, and I think they wanted to, uh, you know, help, help some veterans out, but they weren't, they surely weren't going to do it if the numbers didn't add up. And thankfully for us, our numbers added up. One of the biggest challenges I see within organizations is scalability. And I think you kind of ran into that same problem in the very beginning, because as I understand it, you had a lot of people wanting to, to buy the product, but they were wanting to buy um, customized products. So they just didn't want to run out of the box. And, you know, I ordered one of those myself. And of course, I had it customized and it just makes it a little bit more personal. So uh, that was one of the challenges that you had, I guess, is, is trying to scale it correctly. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I mean, not many people these days uh, make the commitment to manufacture stuff in the USA. And I totally understand why they don't. It's extremely difficult to manufacture stuff in the USA, especially if you don't have a background in manufacturing. But it's also very, very expensive. You know, and um, we made that commitment from day one. And so we've been making stuff here in the United States um, since we started. And um, because I don't have a background in manufacturing, and in many ways, we were... Uh, we were kind of creating this new model of how, how to do things. Um, we had to learn it the hard way, but that's where a lot of my training in special forces kicked in and just being able to, you know, think outside the box and never give the answer. Well, that's how we've always done it because that's how we've always done. It isn't working. And rigidity is your biggest enemy in entrepreneurship and often in, in most things. And so we tried to stay flexible, take ideas from everybody, um, you know, test, test and do some more testing. And like we did in the teams, Remy, you know, we contingency planning was as, as important as the plan itself because we knew that as soon as we left the wire, comms were going to go down, we were going to get a flat tire, we were going to hit the wrong house or, you know, whatever, something was going to go wrong. And just understanding and knowing that things are going to go wrong, but being flexible and ready to shift um, and fix the problem. That's what, it, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. And I think that's one of the reasons I actually enjoy what I do because, um, it really, it, it, I have to stay engaged and I'm the type of guy that if, if, if I'm just doing some mundane job, I, 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 I can't do it. I just hate it. So, yeah. You've mentioned that earlier, uh, Eli, a, a, a couple of key phrases I think that come from military backgrounds, you know, resilience, adaptability, and they they fundamentals when it comes to entrepreneurship. And, you know, we, we know statistically that 50% of uh, businesses will fail within the first three years. But I think for veterans going into entrepreneurship, those statistics are a, a lot less of a failure rate because 
They've got that ability to adapt to a changing scenario. They've got the resilience to keep on going back, failure after failure after failure. And they've got the ability to really drill down in the failures and learn from those um, uh, those issues, change them, adapt them and move on uh, and push forward again. And, and the, the key skills, I think. Right. And I think the other the other things that are super important um, are the fact that the teamwork aspect. I tell entrepreneurs all the time, hey, you're never going to build anything of any significance on your own. You, it just won't happen. I mean, there's been a couple people, a couple anomalies that have done a pretty good job, you know, but most people, 99.9% of people that are entrepreneurs and successful in business, they're good at building teams. And it, it's just like when we were going through, you know, SEAL training, Remy, um, they, they taught us day one, week one, hey, you're nothing by yourself. You better have a swim buddy with you at all times. And matter of fact, if we catch you without a swim buddy, somebody that's not six feet from you, you're gonna get your you're gonna get your tail whipped, and probably your whole boat crew is gonna get your tail their tails whipped just because just to show you there's no John Rambo's on the battlefield, and there's no you know there's no uh, John Rambo's in business either. If 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 you want to build anything, you better build a team, and that's one thing in the military that we all understand. Um, and the other thing too is we know how to do more with less. I mean, I look at some of the situations that we were thrown into. We we're usually always outnumbered. We were fighting in their backyard. Um, and yet we, we, we kicked ass all the time because, you know, we knew how to do more with less. And, uh, there's a lot of those, a lot of lessons that, you know, I could take right from the military straight into business. On that, I wanted to talk to you guys about that because you had mentioned about the military and SEAL teams and what was it besides the, the thing about, you know, the resilience and the adversity and overcoming those hardships that you think that you took away and brought to the workplace um, and that has helped you be successful going forward. I mean, Eli hit a lot on it. The resilience. The uh, I think communication is, is another another note that that's big. You know, in, in the teams, especially and in my background, doing a lot of the intel stuff I did. You know, it wasn't about how you communicate. It was about you know, it was about what you communicate. It's about how you communicate what you communicate. Especially working with locals and and through interpreters, I had to make sure that that what I was communicating to through an interpreter to an to another person was 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 being received the proper way and vice versa because our team's lives were on the line if i received some bad information or if i got information about a bad house we went to that wrong house and you know things went south and so you know one of the big tools that i i took away from my time in especially uh in the job that i did was was just that 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 communication that 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 seal type special ops type two-way communication and um it's funny because i do a lot of work in ministry <laughs> and me and my my assistant have this conversation a lot because you know we, we deal not just in ministry but in other business aspects as well but we deal with a lot of people who have never served in the military right who are horrible at communication yeah who are just so bad at like getting it's, back it's tough out like, here in the private sector i mean you guys, yeah yeah yeah. And so, yeah, so I would say that would, that was that's one big one besides what Eli already touched on as it relates to resilience and being able to take take nothing and turn it into something. Um, man, I, let me see. Let me see what else I, I, I could think. Uh, I mean, I got, Eli already I touched on adaptability. I got something too. real quick. I think one of the biggest things I took from, you know, that just brutal type of training is and it brought it right into the private sector is, uh, you know, the goal setting aspect and not trying mm -hmm. to eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, I, I noticed that, you know, 
I had to go through Hell Week, I think, like Remy twice. Um, and uh, I noticed both both times. The first time, I almost I almost mentally screwed myself because I started. I remember we'd broken out on Sunday night. It was Monday night. I was colder, wetter, more miserable, more exhausted than I'd ever been. Just getting tore up the entire time. Surf tortured, log PT, you know, the whole the whole nine. And I thought to myself, if I'm this tired, this miserable, this cold, this wet right now, how am I going to make it another four days? And that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest, you know, think one of the biggest things you can do to screw yourself up mentally is start thinking about, you know, the entire eating the entire elephant or thinking about the entire week. You got to break, you got to take these big things in life, whether it's the next semester of college, you know, whether it's the first quarter of your business, you know, whatever it is, and you got to start breaking it down into small pieces and you got to look for daily incremental progress, you know, and I like to tell, I like to tell uh, young men and women that are looking to do this, you know, watch that movie Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that's a great movie. But if you watch it at the towards the end, when they're talking about how Andy Dufresne broke out of prison and how he tunneled through that wall with a four inch rock hammer, his buddy Red's talking about how he's a geologist and he loves the study of pressure and time, pressure and time. And they're showing Andy just taking little pieces of rock out of that 20 foot wall over 20 years. And that's what it really takes. This, this get rich quick stuff. It doesn't work in entrepreneurship. It really doesn't. You got to be able, you got to be able to come in every single day, pressure and time, pressure and time, and just keep adding weights to that scale. And a lot of times if you, if you don't properly goal set, if you try and eat the entire elephant one, you know, at, at the same at once, you're going to screw yourself mentally. That is one of the challenges, isn't it? When you start thinking about social media nowadays, especially in the generation that is uh, wanting to be successful and looking for ways to do it quick. And, and like you said, the quick, yeah. the quick uh, get quick rich uh, approach is one of those things that a lot of people hang on to. And Remy, I love what you said about communication because um, communication is so important. I actually gave a class one time on communication about if I said I wanted this done tomorrow, does that mean I want it done by close of business today? Does that mean I want it first thing in the morning? Does that mean I want it tomorrow afternoon or evening before the end of the day? Or is it yeah. you can wait until the, the following morning even? And people will interpret uh, interpret well, yeah, that yeah. yeah however they want to. So it's so important to have the right message and get that across right. not only to your team within your organization that you're trying to do that with, but your vendors, your suppliers, your people that you're uh, coordinating with. And like you said, just sometimes your network, you know, and, and trying to make sure you under, understand everything that's going on. Yeah. Two other things too, I'll touch on that, you know, just came to me, especially with Eli being right here. Um, one, one big, one of my biggest lessons, I think I did a post about this last week or this week, but one of the biggest lessons I gained, and specifically in the SEAL teams and specifically with, you know, serving with Eli and, and our, our OIC was um, as a leader, you know, the, 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 you have to care about your people. You know, you have to you have to show a genuine interest in those who you're leading. It just can't be about, well, I'm just going to use this person, this E2, this E3, this E5 or whatever this person's rank is to get myself to the next rank. You know, um, I remember, you know, Eli, like I would be willing to do absolutely anything for him when I was in his platoon because he was above me. But he didn't just dictate to me what to do. You know, this needs to be done. If you don't do it, you're a turd. You know, he, he took the time to really 
show us what to do. But then along with that, he also showed a genuine interest in all the new guys in the platoon. I mean, some of the other older guys did it as well. But, you know, Eli just sticks out to me because obviously he's here. And, yeah. and, 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 and that affected me. And when I was in my when I went to my next platoon, and I was more of a senior guy in my next platoon because of the way I was treated and because of how Eli instilled that within me to care about my people, to check on my people, to not just find out how they're doing as a SEAL, but hey, how's your wife? How's your kids? How's your home situation? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And uh, and so that, that that was a huge lesson I took from Eli, and that's a huge lesson that I think that if we if we can apply in business and, and with whatever organization that we're working in, we'll see a complete difference in those that we're, we're leading, those who are following us, because they'll literally want to run through walls for you because they know that you have an interest in them. You yeah, know? absolutely. So the number one reason why a lot of people leave organizations is because yeah. of their manager, poor management. You know, so that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It hits big. You you were talking about earlier, Eli, about how um, you hire veterans and you're supporting the veteran community. And it's really important to you. And I know you support a lot of nonprofits as well. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that and about why it is so important to give back to the community. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, when you just boil it all down, I think if 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 you're living your life and you're not looking looking for ways to bless other people, I think you're completely wrong. And I don't think you're a fulfilled person just because I think that's how life works. I think, uh, you know, and I'm not saying you can't have a, have a good life. I'm just saying, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not giving back to people, if you're not blessing other people, you're not getting the best stuff out of life. And it selfishly, it, it is the best stuff out of life when you yeah. can actually take something that you've done or a little nugget that you have, or, you know, a blessing that you have to give somebody and, and give it to somebody else. That's when life starts getting pretty awesome right there. And so, you know, just this community, it's, you guys know the deal. It's a really yeah. small community. I mean, less than 1% of the population is serving right now. Um, and when you look around, you'll, you'll find veterans everywhere, but a lot of them, you know, a lot of them struggle. A lot of them need help. And, you know, a lot of them, a lot of veteran organizations are doing great things to help veterans. So for me, I kind of made the mistake of thinking I was going to get out of the military and kind of isolate myself and go, you know, retire to a ranch somewhere and just, you know, have a little of the, what I like to call the, I've done my part bug. Uh, but I realized really quickly that that was not in my DNA and I just couldn't sit on the sidelines and, you know, not serve. And so I started looking for ways to you know, serve without wearing a uniform and carrying a gun anymore. And I found that I can use my company as a platform to launch initiatives like this one, the long live the veteran brotherhood yeah. uh, initiative. And also, you know, with product donations and money and, you know, what, whatever we can do. I mean, some, sometimes we can't always say yes, but when we get to say yes, it's pretty awesome. You know, I totally agree with you, and I think that's one of the things that people forget about is that um, if they don't take it all in and, and then look for ways to find that sense of connection or that service and that fulfillment, then then they're just kind of missing. It seems like to me that they kind of have that gaping hole. And uh, for us, it's the same thing. It's about giving back, paying it forward. You know, some people do those little things like they'll be in the drive through and they'll pay for the people, you know, behind them, their food or their, their coffee or something like that. And what you guys are talking about is somewhat of that same thing. How can we find ways in order to give back to that community that we also serve with and, and kind of help them pull them forward if that's what they're looking for? Not so much as a handout, mind you, but what can we impart with them in terms of lessons, in terms of uh, things that will help them understand that you got to pay, you know, you got to pay your dues out here. It's not going to be given to you. Absolutely. Right. 
Right. And, you know, I always, you, you can say it in the Bible, it says you reap what you sow, but as civilians, a lot of times they say what comes around goes around. No, no matter how you want to say it, I found that it's true. You know, a lot of times, most of the times, if you're out there, um, if you're out there blessing other people, it just comes right back to you. So, you know, that's that's another thing to look at as well. Let's talk a little bit about Long Live the uh, Veteran Brotherhood, because that's a new, you know, program that you're starting out now in communication that's out there. I've seen a lot of the videos that you've got some veterans that are coming on. Remy was one of those who recently did a video as well and talking about it. What is it that you're trying to uh, state with that? And of course, you're wearing the T-shirt today. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that as as well. Right. So I noticed in the, you know, in the teams, we have a saying, long live the brotherhood. And I always love the saying. It just made me feel like I was part of something bigger than myself. And like, like it was a, like I was surrounded by brothers, guys that would do anything, you know, for me, you know, both on the battlefield and off the battlefield. And I always, as I was getting out, I, I, I wondered why veterans didn't have a uniting, you know, slogan or mantra like that, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, we all face, you know, 85, 90% of the same issues anyway. And so, I've never really cared. I mean, I'm proud to be I'm proud to be a team guy and from that community, but I look at, you know, I look at veterans of all shapes, sizes, colors like brothers and sisters. And so, I wanted to start something uh you know, a, a unifying message within the bigger community, the veteran community, um to where we just did a better job looking out for each other because I saw a lot of infighting. I saw, you know, quite a bit of people yeah. you know guys and gals stepping on each other to get where they wanted to go and i was just like this is not how it's supposed to be man right. all boats rise with the tide and if if we just did a better job looking out for one each other, one another and acting like it was a damn brotherhood you wouldn't see a lot of the problems you see within the veteran community so that's why we came up with long live the veteran brotherhood yeah no i love it and you're so right i think uh, it really pains me when i go out there and you can be social media or whatever but we start eating our own quickly i mean it could be something okay. that is so slight like a, a picture of a, a female that doesn't have her hair right in the right tight bun and next thing you know there'll be 40 posts all over you know trying to rip that person apart or something and and forgetting the total message and what the message was that that person tried to deliver of you know whether it was hope or you know coming over over adversity or something like that totally lost they focused in on one thing and uh that's just one aspect of it but i see it all the time too often yeah yeah we see that often people focusing on on the negative side of it as opposed to the the positive side of it and like robert said often as as a community veterans particularly when it comes to uniforms in pictures uh, for example on social media posts when it comes to uniform equipment if there's the slightest thing wrong everybody drills in on, on that specific negative aspect but they don't focus on the positive and with, with such a tight knit group as veterans if we all aligned ourselves and focused on the positive things as opposed to the negative things the things we could achieve would be completely outstanding no, you're absolutely right. Um, and that's one thing I, lo- I always loved about Remy, even though he was one of my new guys. He always did a phenomenal job. I don't know if Remy told you in, his po- in the last podcast he did with you guys, but Remy always held church for us on Sundays if, if we weren't working. And I thought that was so cool as a new guy that he was actually stepping up and leading in probably one of the most important areas that you know you can absolutely lead in. 
And uh, it's all about it's all about being your brother's keeper, taking care of them, and you know just looking out for them spiritually, you know physically, psychologically. And um, as you guys know, on these deployments, you know there's not only are we faced with a lot of difficult situations, but we're away from our support groups, our friends, our families, you know. And a lot of guys, a lot of guys struggle. So I always, uh, I always respected that, Remy. I always well, did. You, well, you, well, you was my deacon, man. <laughs> you was my church deacon, man. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Oh, it's one of those things that I don't think we do enough, and it uh, goes along with long live the veteran brotherhood, that uh, looking out for that, that battle buddy, looking out for that person that you serve with and picking up the phone every once in a while and calling them and you know talking with them, not just a text. We actually did a podcast on this one time a few weeks back about how important it is to reach out and not just send a text or something, but actually speak with them, make sure that you understand how they're, they're feeling. If you can meet up for coffee, if you can meet up for a beer or whatever the case may be, you can see them face to face. You can get an idea and a better uh, perspective of what's really going on in their life and the whole thing. Um, it's about that camaraderie, and I think that's one of the things that's missing out of the veteran community once they get off active duty. And it, and going back to your original point about sense of service and everything, that's that's how you can get tied in. You start getting connected with other veterans. Next thing you know, you're going to find that sense of service somewhere. It's out there waiting yeah, for you. And honestly, that's one of the biggest things. I didn't realize it, and I know a lot of veterans don't realize it. One of the biggest pro- reasons they have problems and they struggle is because they've lost that sense of camaraderie and it, they can, they can get it back. They just have to look for work. They have to look for ways to serve and support their brothers. And it could be with a nonprofit. It could be in so many other ways, but a lot of vets don't have the self-awareness to realize that we are, we are hardwired. Most of us for service. And if we're, we don't have some aspect or level of service in our lives, we get into trouble pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I'll be uh, doing my video here soon. Appreciate you sending me the shirt. Got to get that thing. I know it's in the mail. I haven't had a chance to go home and actually pick up the mail or anything, but I'll be doing the video here soon. Don't worry. Uh, but awesome. Also, tell everybody how they can get those T-shirts and they can be a part of this whole community that you're talking about and how they can learn more about Bottle Breacher because people are going to be listening to this and saying, okay, I've heard about it now. What's the best way to find you? Yeah, if they just go to BottleBreacher.com, um, they can they can find these shirts and our other products. And basically what we're looking is we're we're trying to start a movement and it start you know it starts with a little t-shirt but um at the end of the day it's so much more than that what we're really looking to do is have veterans do a better job acting like brothers and taking care of one another and we're we're actually asking a lot of veterans to uh, pick up a t-shirt um and make a video telling their story who they are where they're from where they served what the veteran brotherhood means to them what they're doing to give back to it and in the video with Long Live the Veteran Brotherhood. So that's really what, what we're after here with this movement. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. And, of course, you can go and find everything about Bottle Breacher on Instagram, uh, on uh, Facebook, and go directly to the website and everything and order all kinds of products and materials. Like you said, Long Live the Veteran Brotherhood t-shirt is one of those, but all their products are outstanding. And uh, wish you nothing but great success. And, and Remy, same to you, brother. Appreciate you coming back on and both of you taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, man. See you, Eli. <laughs> Later, brother. Cheers. All right, it's all good, man. Appreciate it, Eli. I really do. Yes, sir. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, 
and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.